to Luke chapter 1. This morning we begin our series, The Savior's Saga. Last week, an introduction to the book of Luke. We're going to pick up this morning in verse 18 down through verse 38. And this first installment, you know, D.L. Moody was correct when he said history is actually his story. It is really the history of mankind is tied up in the history of God. Who God is, what God is, that scarlet thread of redemption that runs from the cover to the cover of your Bible. It goes from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 22. It is God crying out to mankind, I love you. It's reminding us of who we are. And so it isn't surprising that as Luke begins his gospel of compassion, his human side of Jesus and this marvelous picture that we have of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as a babe in a manger as a child, that it begins with the very human details of the story. Because he's painting the picture to remind you, to remind me that when we think on Jesus, we have a king who knows what it's like to be us. Who is in every way, shape or form, as Paul wrote, he was tested as we are and yet without sin. He knows what it's like to live in your shoes and in my shoes. He experienced the the basic tenets of humanity as he walked this earth. And so this morning, the Savior Saga, part one, and first we find the angel's astonishment. It is always amazing to me when we see these heavenly visitors. You have to remember where they came from. They came from the glories of heaven. It's probably a bit of a shock to drop down to this earth and and walk around with us. Because it's not like heaven here. There are places, and we, we say that, we had a group that went to Yosemite this last week. And, you know, when you see Yosemite for the first time, your jaw drops down, you kind of gaze. You ever go to Glacier Point and look out, you're like, God did this? You, you can look at things on this earth and you can get a me- measure of astonishment, but I guarantee you it's nothing like an angel stepping onto this dirt pile. Amen? Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word. Father, we're so grateful that You sent Jesus who considered it not to be robbery, to be equal with You, yet to take on the form of a servant. Lord Jesus, to think that You got on Your hands and knees, that You took off Your clothes and girded Your waist with Your tunic, and that You washed the feet of the very man who would betray You. God, to think that you scrubbed the dirt out of Judas's toes is amazing to us. God, as we study your word, would it sink deep? Would we get a glimpse of how much you love us? Would you encourage us? Father, take your word and plant it into our hearts that we might know you, that we might not sin against you, that we might walk in your ways. We bless you. We praise you and all God's people said. Amen. Verse 18. And I love these stories. As I shared with you, Luke writes from a very specific direction and he says so in chapter 1. He wants to give an accurate account of the facts. Verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How can I know this? And what he wants to know was clear from our last study. You know, look, I mean, 
me and Elizabeth, we're kind of a little outside of the child-rearing age. We're, 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 we're past our prime. We're not past our prime. We're, we're, we got one foot in the grave, okay, let's be honest. We're, we're pretty well near dead. And it's it's not like so. I kind of like you to show me something, so that I can know that you're really speaking to me about this thing that's going to happen, that we're going to bring in the heralder, the messenger, John the Baptist, into this world. For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And as I said, it meant that they were probably in their 80s. That phrase there was considered from a Jewish perspective, with someone almost at the very end of their life. Well advanced is like, mm, tomorrow's not really looking all that good. And the angel answered and said to him, For I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? Can you imagine Gabriel getting this? Because I don't know what the angels know, but I know they know more than we do. Gabriel comes into the presence of God and God says, Gabriel, I'd like you to go talk to this old guy and his wife. Now he's a priest and and he's not really all that great a priest. He's one of these several guys that shares uh, the various schools of learning that came back from Babylon. But I'd like you to go talk to him. And oh, by the way, when you get there, get prepared to see the worst slum you've ever seen compared to heaven. Can you imagine if God told you, well, I want you to spend the rest of your days in, in the worst part of the favelas in Brazil. You'd be going, oh, do I have to? Couldn't we figure out something else to do? you got to wonder what the angels were thinking. Astonished would be a good word. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. When we think of the angelic beings and what they do and what they represent, remember that they are here for your good that they have been sent by God. I don't know how many I've had assigned to me over the years, but it's a lot because I should not be here. And some of you probably wish that the angels had not been so good at what they do. But you think of angels. Angels are those heavenly beings that God sends to this earth to keep watch over us, to do His bidding. And so angels, in this case, this one happens to be Gabriel, whom we see in Scripture as the herald of the things of God. This is a big deal. This is like you getting one of those kind of almost ivory-colored envelopes with a, with a house on the letterhead, and it says, White House. And in it is an invitation for you to go sit down with the president and tell him how you really feel. You're all going to be sitting there going, yes, I finally get to go and tell him how I really feel. This is a message from God himself. Zacharias, I want to talk to you. I've got something you need to know, and I'm sending a heavenly being to do it. And it is glad tidings. But behold, I love it. this is God's sense of humor at work. I'm going to give you the greatest news that's ever been given to a human being, and then I'm going to tell you, you can't talk about it. You will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because, Zacharias, after all I've done in your life, you still got a little trouble with faith. You still haven't quite believed that what I tell you is true. 
You want the shortcut to God's blessings? Walk by faith and not by sight. Because walking by sight, you'll deceive yourself. But walking by faith, God will show you what you need to know. And so he says, you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. Notice whose time in their own time, God's time. Don't we hate that at times? I'm in, I'm in that club of people that wishes God would hurry up. I look at the world and it's like I tell God, well, couldn't you just save everybody who's going to be saved like today and then rapture the church? That would be nice. Aren't you glad he doesn't see things the way we do? Can you think of the millions, billions of people that might perish if he took up some of the things that we think would be important to us? These things were going to come about in God's time, in their own time, the way God sees them from his perspective. And from his perspective, God always had a plan to bring Jesus to this world. There was never a time in the course of the universe's history that Jesus wasn't the answer to what ails man. Ever. God did not get up on the wrong side of the bed one day. He wasn't having a capricious moment. He didn't somehow all of a sudden gain some knowledge of, man, I never expected them to get this bad to where they'd need a Savior. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, Jesus was the answer. Amen? There wasn't another answer. It wasn't that they ever even had the capacity to be uh, anything other than what they were. Sometimes people think that Adam and Eve were, were super. Adam and Eve were men and women just like we are with the capacity of sin, just like we have. And they only had one sin they could, could, could commit, and they did it. Gives you an idea of how deep-seated the problem is. Amen? So when you think of you, lighten up a bit. When you think of others, lighten up a bit. Don't be too critical of a lack of belief. Pray for more faith, as Jesus said we ought to. The answer to faith is to pray for it. It's not some magic thing that comes in a bottle. And so we see Zacharias's kind of his response here. And I, and I wonder what the angel thought. You know, dude, don't you know who I am? You ever get that from Don't you know who I am? People who have positions of power or authority, sometimes they'll use that phrase. Don't you know who I am? You know, I'm this person or I'm that person or I did this or I did that, you know. It, it always kind of strikes me as funny as the washed up Hollywood stars and starlets. You know, they're, they're 195 years old, but they've been kept together with plastic surgery. And you see them and all of a sudden they'll say, they'll be getting interviewed on TV. And it's like the guy who's interviewing them has no clue who they are. You know, they just, it's like, well, uh, what did, well, I was in a movie 47 years ago and it was kind of good. The angel comes to earth, and in heaven he stands in the presence of God, and it's like, you don't know who I am? Do you realize that you have access through Jesus Christ to the throne of God? Every day. That's why you're to pray without ceasing. That's why you make your petitions known to God. That's why you're to supplicate and intercede for others because you actually have an audience with the king every day if you want it. Gabriel came from there. You can imagine what was going on in Zacharias' mind 
here's this old priest and he probably backs out of the temple which was the custom then what he was going to do was to come out onto the porch of the temple which overlooked the court of the priests and so he would step out onto the top step there were seven steps that led down each one roughly a foot tall so he's seven feet above the crowd that contains all of the rest of the priestly order and then behind them all of the people out there all the way to the court of the Gentiles, the court of women. There could have been thousands of people standing there. And Zacharias backs out. He bows out of the temple, which was customary. He would then turn to his right, pick up a jug of water. That jug of water would be taken to the steps. He would pour the jug of water out onto the steps as the drink offering. It would run down the steps, symbolizing that the Holy Spirit was going out onto the people through these words that would be spoken. He would then pronounce the priestly blessings of number six on them. The Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. He would say that to him and he walks out and he gets the jug of water, spills it and stands up and he can't say a word. And then he begins to motion to the people. And the people waited for Zacharias are looking. Oh, this is bad. It looks like Alzheimer's has set in. They're whispering in the crowd. He can't talk. He's lost it. Something's happened. Maybe he's seen a vision. Perhaps he's paralyzed. And they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. You see, it didn't take that long to go in and sprinkle some frankincense and myrrh onto that golden altar. It didn't take long for him to picture figuratively the gifts offered to the Lord Jesus at his birth. It didn't take very long. It was a few minutes. And then he comes out and nothing happens. You talk about a letdown. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. He's like, he's like maybe if I get them closer, my tongue will loosen up and I, maybe I can whisper to them. And so he's telling them to come move forward. I don't know what sign, you know, maybe he's doing this. He's moving his fingers like, I can't talk. They didn't have sign language then, so he was pretty much dead in the water as a priest. And I'm thinking his wife is over in the in the court of the women. She's going, yes, my husband won't speak for a night. You know, and he, he's silent. It's what all pastors' wives dream about. Because they have to hear these things more than once. You know, Connie will be sharing with me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to say this. and Here he is. He remains speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. And now after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dwelt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach from among the people. And though Zacharias had had some unbelief, I think it's not appropriate to be hard on him because I know I would have had no more faith than he. I wouldn't have believed much of the Lord at that stage in my life either. I probably would have stumbled around and fumbled around and tried to figure out what it was that he was saying. You see, one of the things you have to remember is is that uh, this couple got the opportunity at all. That, that they were the ones that were chosen to bring forth John the Baptist into this world. And so there was still a good reputation in heaven of this couple, even though there were some human weaknesses. Would you remember that about you? 
You know, sometimes I think people are kept from serving and kept from being used of the Lord because of that self-loathing, the, the things that we look at and go, gosh, I'm just not good enough, right? I don't have this or don't have that or I don't have faith like so-and-so or a prayer life like that person. You know, I, I watch them and it's just like, why would God ever use me? God to this day, as Paul clearly said as he's writing the church at Corinth, he, he delights to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And an unspeaking Zacharias can speak a lot when it's God behind the scenes driving the whole situation. And that's what happened in his life. And so this old priest, probably at least in his 80s, maybe older than that, you know, they didn't have SPF 50 then. He was no doubt wrinkled and probably not much hair and he, he was a sight to behold. He probably, like most of us, I've, I've even noticed, Connie and I were laughing yesterday as we were driving home about the things that we forget. You know, you remember the most obscure, weird, odd things as you get older, and then you can't remember what you had for lunch. That was Zacharias. And all of a sudden, God begins to work in his life at a very late date. He was tongue-tied. His wife was probably happy but verse 21 goes on to say and the people waited for Zacharias and they marveled that he just was there for so long you see he was he was probably shaken and and I want you to remember this was tough on him as it was on them and so as we look forward now and begin to pick up in verse 26 as he got home it was probably like he always came home he probably smelled like frankincense as he walked in the door he probably had on the remainder of his tunic, the things that he would have worn uh, as he served the Lord. And from Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's perspective, it was just a normal day of him coming home from doing what he did. Remember that God works in the normal, the, the usual, the unremarkable. The things that, that we would say, well, how's God going to use that? God uses those things and he uses those kind of people. When God's in it, God can do anything with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Amen? He goes on now in verse 26. And now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, we have this annunciation, if you will. Here's the the amazing announcement. The angel descends again and now begins to speak. And now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And I want you to ponder this for a second before we move on. This is the equivalent of the bad neighborhood in every city. Every country has one of these cities where, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant to name names, but I think we can all think of places like maybe some of the inner city parts of Los Angeles or Chicago or Detroit to where it's just not good, it's not safe. You just don't go there, not because all the people are bad, but because a lot of bad people seem to hang out together in certain places. And when they hang out together, they are a more formidable force because evil likes evil. And so there are places that you just simply don't go. And it doesn't have anything to do with race, creed, or anything else. It's just that crooks hang out together. That was Nazareth. And so he went to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin 
betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And I want you to look at two words there. The word virgin is translated very correctly there. It means exactly what we would think it to mean in our modern day and time. It is a woman not who has never had children, but one who has never had sexual relationship with anyone ever. Period. End of conversation. The word usage here is very clear that Mary was not just a young lady, she was a completely celibate woman. And so she was betrothed, and that word is also unique to us because we don't do things this way. But in a Jewish context, the betrothal period was one year and seven days. And on the eighth day, the marriage happened. So in that one year, because they didn't have things like the FHA to loan money for houses, because they did not have Ikea, because they did not have Target, they could not get Bed Bath & Beyond gift cards to establish their home. They didn't have the things that we have. Pretty typically, the house was shared by multitudes of families. There could be as many as three generations living in one home. And that one home, they would take a period of betrothal. The bride and the groom would actually live together without being sexually active. They stayed in a part of the home, and during that period of time, the women would teach the women how to do the things that the women did, and the men would teach the men how to be a man and how to be a provider. And so they didn't have to make another table, and so they didn't have to make another chair. They would use the accoutrements of the home to show them how to live alone. That was called a betrothal period. And after that one year, then they would actually get married. But for all intents and purposes, the binding contract of the betrothal period was the same as the marriage without the sexual relationship. So they lived together, completely celibate, but as if they were married. And so here they are betrothed. And goes on and uses again, the virgin's name was Mary. And I want you to notice that both of them ultimately can have their lineage traced back to David. Remember who Jesus is. He is the King of Kings. And he is the Lord of Lords. That he will sit on the throne of David. And the only way he can do that is his lineage must be able to be traced back to the lineage of David the King. So again, Luke being very accurate says to us, not just Joseph, not just Mary, but both of them have their lineage traced back to David the king. So Jesus has the Jewish right to sit on the throne of David. And so he says, the virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice! Highly favored one. That word favor there in the rest of this particular passage, you can circle it, you can underline it. It actually means be graced. Favored is the plural of charis. It means one upon whom grace is bestowed. You be graced one. Grace is unmerited favor. Amen? So this is not Mary was inherently better than all other women throughout time. This is God bestowing his grace upon Mary. Now, was she waited for throughout time? Of course. But was she less than a woman? No. Was she more than all other women? No. Was she the co-redemptrix? No. Was she perpetually a virgin? We'll get to that the next study. No. 
She was a woman upon whom God bestowed the grace and the favor of bringing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into this world. He said, highly favored one, the Lord is with you and blessed are you. In other words, joyfully bestowed upon are you among women. There's only going to be one of you, Mary, and you're it. There's not going to be another one like you. You're the only one. Because God only has one son, and you're going to bring him into this world, humanly. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting. You talk about a strange greeting. So here the angel comes to this city in Galilee, and and this would have been the reaction to anyone hearing this news. Galilee? The president was born in Baker? Uh, He came from Muskoy? Uh, He he was born in Inyokern? What? You you just don't think. you, You think of much larger cities. You would think that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am would have surely been born, probably on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, maybe inside the holy place. Not Nazareth. Nazareth sits about midway up the valley of Jezreel in in modern-day Israel. And as you look at it, it was at the crossroads of the trading routes between the sea coast on the Mediterranean, and specifically Caesarea Maritima, Herod's palace, and the interior valley and the location of the seat of the kings of the northern kingdom in Megiddo. And there was a crossroads there, one road going north and south all the way down to Egypt, from what is now modern-day Lebanon, up in the city, cities of that time, Tyre and Sidon. And so it was basically the four corners existed there. And that's the reason it was known for the crime. It was a perfect place to rob caravans when they came and went. So whether they came from the coast and they were going east or west, or they stopped there and headed north or south, soon as they left town, the robbers are going, yep, the caravan from Caesarea bringing all that olive oil is coming over. You know, they got some purple cloth. Let's go rob it. And so Jesus was born into the robber capital of the Middle East. You see, when we think of that, it was no place for an aristocrat to be born. The Roman soldiers marched on that road. The Greeks bearing their merchandise traveled there. The priests and the Levites traveled there. Uh, It was a place that everybody went around. Nobody stopped there. If you stopped in Nazareth, it's because you were not too smart. Went on by. And certainly, as Nathaniel would say, as we see John's gospel unfold in the first chapter, he actually makes a statement, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like, Nazareth, are you kidding? It just can't happen. When you think about this angel, he finds Mary in a humble peasant home. He he came from a world where the gates are made out of pearls. Think about it for a second. He's like, oh, man, this is bad. No furniture. Maybe a curtain. You see, at that day and time, you brought your animals inside at night so nobody stole them. They lived in a stable. There was goats on the other side. of the, You slept on one side of the curtain. Goats were on the other side. They needed Airwick solids big time during that day. And they did not have them. 
It was a cave with rocks out the front of it, more than likely. If you travel there today, along the whole cliffside on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, it's just pockmarked with caves everywhere. They're all from biblical times. Most of them have some type of historical artifact or relics have been found inside of them. People lived in them. That's where Nazareth is. And yet God says, Mary, I'm bestowing my grace. I'm begracing you with my favor. You are the highly favored one. And so the angel then begins to speak in verse 30. And then the angel said to her, notice this. Don't be afraid, Mary, because you found favor with God. You, you found grace with God. It's best to put that word in there. Not that you're so perfect or so great or absolutely sinless yourself. Mary needed a Savior. More on that next time. She's actually going to make that case. Mary needed the grace of God, just like you need the grace of God and I need the grace of God. She will need her own son as her Savior as well. You've found favor with God, grace with God. And behold, I want you to notice the force of God's sovereign plan that comes into play now. No accident was the cross of Christ. No accident was the birth of Christ. It was all planned out well in advance of the events. Behold, and notice the first three statements are absolutely the assertions of the Lord talking about what would happen in his first coming. The second three belong to the second coming of the Lord, a time that's yet future. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Remember what Jesus means. God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Yehoshua is the correct rendering of it. God is salvation. You will call his name God is salvation. It can't be Bob. It's not Sam. It won't be George. It's not Henry. You will because it was planned out a long time in advance. His name is Jesus. Amen? You're going to conceive. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great. Not he might be. Kind of if he goes to the right schools. Now don't mess him up, Mary. Now we're giving you the Son of God here, and it's up to you to make sure he makes it, okay? We want some really good parenting skills out of you. If we don't get them, we're going to replace you someplace midway down the line. He will become great. Mary, not because of you, not because of Joseph. Not because of anything you do. Not because of where he grew up. Because thus says the Lord. That's the plan. He will be called the son of the highest. Now you're starting to delve into territory that how many sons does God have? The only begotten son is what we know. One of one. Nobody else like him. He's the only one about whom can be said these things. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That can only happen if he's related. For God says, I'm going to ultimately, he will sit on the throne. That hasn't happened yet. These are looking forward. These are looking into our future. Perhaps our future, perhaps we'll be gone by then. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen? You, you see, really, this speaking forward into time as you look at these things. Because the world doesn't like to hear this news. There is only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. The world hates John 14:6, that he is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. There isn't an alternative plan. By force of will, God says, this is him. This is Jesus, God who is salvation, and upon him I will put the name the Most High. And so he says, Mary speaking to the angel now, and then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Makes it very clear she has never had sexual relationship with anyone. Not just Joseph, nobody. It doesn't say the man, doesn't say Joseph, it says a man, anybody. She never, ever, before this birth, had known any man physically. How can it be? And I love what happens next. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do you remember what happened in Genesis chapter 1? As the Holy Spirit hovered over this thing that was void and without form, and breathed life into it as the Creator God moved over the face of the earth, Remember, he simply spoke into existence, ex nihilo, Latin, out of nothing, everything that is. So, causing a baby to be born in a very natural way, through very supernatural uh, means, is nothing too hard for God. Amen? If he can fling billions of galaxies and star clusters into space... If he can manage to put this little rock that's the third one from the sun with the exact atmosphere that we have, part oxygen and nitrogen, with the exact gravitational force that we have that is perfect for our bodies, with the transition of temperature and day and night and the fluctuations of it, and put on it a biosphere that makes oxygen out of carbon dioxide, which is what you breathe out. If he could put us on this rock, of which we know of no other, with all of our searching with the Hubble telescope, with radio telescopes, we are looking for a planet like Earth, we have not found one. And we have searched out six billion light years into space for systems that are capable. That's about half the distance of the known universe, by the way. We haven't found one. There's only one. Do you really think it's all that hard for God to bring forth, born of a virgin, a man, and have him born in a natural way into a human family? Notice what's said. And that Holy One who is born will be, notice the force of will again, called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived of a son in her old age and is now in the sixth month for her who is called barren. That's just like, Elizabeth? Are you kidding me? You know, Mary's probably a teenager at this point in time, by the way. She may well have been 16 to 19 years old. Maybe a little older than that, but probably not, because they were of marriageable age. I know this strikes you funny. At 12. So she is a young woman. 
Elizabeth is a near-dead woman. Oh, by the way, just in case you didn't believe me, have somebody send a text to Elizabeth. Find out how she's doing. She's pregnant. No way. God always gives us enough reason to believe. He doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us enough. The element of faith is up to you to believe. That's why no one ever gets saved by force of will or argument. You can't talk someone into the kingdom. If you can, they could be talked out, and thereby it is not faith. You must have faith to believe. And so she now makes one of the most important statements, or hears it, for with God nothing will be impossible. You see, when God sovereignly works, He sovereignly works and takes into account your free will. He has a plan, but He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to believe by faith and take up our part in His plan. And He's immensely patient. He is unlike us in that regard because we're not patient. You, You see, there was a plan, and there was proof, and there was power in all of this. You see, it was all God, but there were human parts to be played, and that's where faith comes in. I don't know how God uses me. I don't have any clue. Sometimes I think when I I wake up in the morning, it's like, God, couldn't you do better if you actually did use a donkey? It'd be easier for you. You could just tell the donkey what to say. I rebel. You guys ever rebel when God did? Go talk to that person. You ever had this experience? Go talk to that person. Tell them, "Uh uh-uh, not going to do it. Don't care. After all, they're lost already. You know, you make your assumptions, all those things. You, You say things to God. Mary was a human in that context. She said, well, I don't really want to be the mother of God. Matter of fact, I'm not sure. You know, can you imagine the ridicule and scorn that came upon her for her being pregnant while she was betrothed? Actually, it was a stonable offense unto death. She's walking around. I mean, she's getting the big moo-moo. She's trying to cover up the whole thing. She's got a super tunic. She's wandering around town trying to hide it, sucking in, trying to hold it as long as she can. She doesn't want anybody to know what's going on unless she's got faith. She's walking around, her belly's out to here. She's like, yep, that's God in there. I don't know if she did that. I know if I heard from an angel, that's what I'd be doing. Yep, Karen God. Probably have a t-shirt make God, you know, with the arrow or whatever. I don't know. I don't want to mess up your Christmas story, but to me it makes sense. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, I got the Son of God in here. She believes by faith. She believes the Son of God is within her. Ultimately, she knows what's going on. You see that holy thing, uh, you just stop at it. You're like, that holy, that holy child. Do you remember all of this was foretold, by the way? What does is, what is Isaiah 7.14 says? He will be E-man-u-l. God with us. God who dwells with His people. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The seed of the woman. Oh, that's right. And you'll bruise him, but he's going to kill you. It was all foretold in advance. And now it was coming true. 
That's why Gabriel says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I want to leave you with that this morning. Is your God still able to do the impossible? When you wake up in the morning, do you have the kind of faith that says, Lord, I trust you enough that you still work the impossible things? See, anybody can do the possible. That's why when somebody comes to me and they happen to have a great skill set or certain group of characteristics that would just enable them to naturally do things, I'm not so amazed. What I am amazed by is when someone has little or no skill and God does impossible things through their life. It's one of the glories of what is Calvary Chapel. You look at some of these guys that are pastoring churches of 10,000 people. They don't have three brain cells to rub together. They get up in the morning and it's, I, I, you know, ask Greg Laurie what his thought process was when God told him he was going to be a pastor. Huh? He thought he was going to be an artist, a cartoonist to be exact. Talk to Mike McIntosh. He wandered around for years believing half of his head was gone. He wandered around for years, so blown out on drugs, he thought half of his head was gone. And yet, tens of thousands of people have come to Christ through his ministry. Hallelujah. Can your God still do the impossible? Because he wants to, and he wants to do it through you, if you will believe. And I want to encourage you, walk by faith. Ask God to do impossible things. That's where you see Him at work. Amen? God does the possible all day, every day. Have you asked Him to do the impossible thing? Are you praying for that person that you don't think can be saved? Are are you asking God to use you in ways that make you very, very, very uncomfortable? I'll tell you a little secret. I actually get a little bit of a thrill out of pressing people to serve the Lord, especially in pastoral ministries, because they all will tell me the same thing. I don't think I can do it. And what I say to them is, you're right, you can't. But God can and wants to. Can your God, as Mary clearly understood, still do the impossible? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for loving us. Lord, we don't even understand, God, how you could love us, but you do, so much so that you offered up your only begotten Son in our place on Calvary's cross. Lord, that you allowed him to be beaten, you allowed him to be murdered, and you allowed his blood to be shed in our place. Lord, to us, that is indeed the greatest gift ever given. And you gave it to us personally. We thank you that by grace we've been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves, it's a gift. Lord, so much so that if there's anyone here this morning that's never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they've never invited you, Jesus, personally into their life, can do so and know that security of heaven. We love you, Lord. We bless you. We thank you, and we praise you, and all God's people said, Amen.